Hi, this is Eric Y. Chen, host of the Y Factor podcast, where I interview entrepreneurs, CEOs, and individuals on how they got started in their business. I take a deep dive to understand their journey through life, uncovering their purpose, and most importantly, discussing their whys. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. This is Eric Y. Chen of the Y Factor Podcast. Today, I have Andrew Chow, one of the founders of Boba Guys. I'm really excited to have you. I met you at one of the Asian Hustle Network NorCal events. You came in, speak or spoke at that time. And so, you know, a lot of people were inspired by what you've done in terms of business, business growth and the community. And I'm very grateful to have you join us. Love to have you introduce yourself. Cool. Thank you so much, Eric. I am so excited to be on this podcast. Just in general, a huge fan of anybody that supports the the hustle or the entrepreneurship community like you guys. So thanks for listening. I I mean, introduction, I, I think if you're listening to this, you probably have heard of or heard versions of what Boba Guys is. So if you don't know, it's kind of like a, nowadays people say it's like an Asian Starbucks, I guess, where I'd like to say Asian Blue Bottle, but <laughs> Asian Starbucks. And we started in 2011, and what we're most known for is really, I wouldn't say artisanalizing, but making bougie boba, hipster boba. We made boba elevated. Mm-hmm. Not to say that boba was crappy or anything like that. It was just, I think, as we grew up, we wanted boba that was more fit for adults. Because I grew up since middle school drinking boba. Mm-hmm. But I, when I was 30, I didn't want to drink boba with exactly the same ingredients. And I think what all of us... At that time, it was probably Tapioca Express is one of yeah. the only yeah, for sure. places that offered boba. Uh-huh. Were there any other places out there, too, that offered boba? Or that's I think that's what our generation technically just grew up on. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure uh, you're not listening to the why factor for the history of boba. <laughs> but the quick history, because it's tied to the general history, is history of boba really started in the 80s. And it came to the Bay Area where I grew up in middle school and beyond in around mid nineties or early nineties, mid nineties. And one of the first place, places that I went to was called Wonderful Foods. So if you're from the Bay Area, you know it. It's it's on Irving's kind of the OG boba shop. I still love it to this day. It's kind of it's interesting because it has all these like sundries and like it's like sweet factory with a boba shop. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably my favorite, maybe to even to all time, because it has a sentimental value. Then quickly sweetheart. I went to Berkeley, so go Bears if you're listening. We would go, uh, my roommate and I would go down the street on Durant. So I'd go to Sweetheart a lot. And I think I remember, I mean, not I think, I loved uh, Fantasia a lot too. Mm. So you talked about all these boba shops that already existed, right? And just for the audience to understand, how did boba guys even come to be? Because you know, at a certain point, boba guys, I think, at least to me, from my understanding, is one of the first few boba stores that was able to generate like a line out mm-hmm. the door and people would be willing to wait an hour, two hours just to get your guys' boba. Mm-hmm. So how did that all start? It's a really good question. How much time we got? 40, 40 minutes today? Let's keep it to the five minute version. Five minutes. <laughs> and I'm gonna go through the highlights. So the Cliff Notes version is, this is 2010, 11, when Ben and my co-founder and I, his name is Ben, we wanted to see if, if Boba could be elevated. At the time in the Bay Area, Blue Bottle and Phil's was 
were like the two hot coffee shops. And if you, if you're in the coffee scene, there's something called third wave coffee, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like basically bougie, snooty coffee. But we were like, you know, I liked it too. I, I liked uh, Blue Bottle had the New Orleans style and, and the mint mojito at, at Phil's. It was kind of so just good. derivatives <laughs> off of like a standard, right? I think we thought boba could be done that same way. We, so we Googled it. We're Asian. One of our hashtags, like do your homework. So we generally do our homework. I'm like, I'm a nerd. And so I was like, how come this has not been done? And it really hasn't. I Googled every version of premium milk tea, premium bubble tea, premium boba, all these versions. And the market was wide open. This is 2010, 11. So I told Ben, I said, we thought we were going to do an apparel company because we came out of, uh, we met at an apparel company called, or accessories apparel company called Timbuktu. So we thought we were going to spin off and do something like that. And that's where you two were working. Yeah, I was a general manager. I I went to business school. I'm more of the classic business guy. And Ben uh, was the creative director there. So we always had complementary skill sets. So we thought we were going to spin off and do what we naturally did, which was apparel. Apparel, fashion, Mm -hmm. creative. And, but we don't drink. We drink very little alcohol. I got Asian flush, sadly. And so I was like, we would just, instead at nighttime, we just, Instead of going to a bar, we'd like grab boba. We'd drive to Wongo Foods across town. And uh, I said, let me take you to my old childhood place. And he got into wonderful Foods just like me. And we were like, you know, if there was a version of this in boba, that would kill it. Oh, sorry, if, yeah, Blue Bottle. If there was like a Blue Bottle version of boba, it would kill it. And we did homework for about like months and we're like, I can't believe no one's done this. So at, at best, there was maybe like an artisanal shop in Indonesia called Kalis or mm-hmm. something like that. And I'm sure there was like some obscure, super like hippie boba shop in Portland maybe. But I knew there was definitely no, no popular one because you couldn't find that on the internet. And we said, let's just try it. And at the time, our friends were opening a pop-up shop in the mission called Mission Chinese, which is now probably even like way more famous than we are, Danny and Anthony. And we were working in the neighborhood and we were going to their place for lunch mm-hmm. while we're brainstorming the idea of what to do together. And so we got the inspiration from them and think, thinking, could this be the first beverage pop-up? Which if you also, also Googled beverage pop-up or drink pop-up or boba pop-up or coffee pop-up, there was no pop-ups in beverages in 2011. The idea of pop-ups was already novel. So we're like, what if we took the boba idea, which was, we think, wide open space. You call it like white space. And then you have uh, this pop-up idea. And let's just try it because we don't, we had full-time jobs. We were, we're not the entrepreneurs, which I'm sure you've talked about in many of your other episodes, which is we didn't do it because we hated corporate. Like we were pretty good. We're probably one of the best at what we did. And mm-hmm. I was... Out of business school, I was CPG. I was on track to be a CMO. I went to a tier one school. I was, I was at Clorox. So if you ever, anybody listening, I was very suit. I was very like, I was bred to be the CMO of like Pepsi-Cola, Coca-Cola, right? But we just did a side project. Anyways, the pop-up that we did, that we got inspired by, by Mission Chinese, blew up. We really didn't think it was going to be that successful. We just did it as a hobby. And then we're like, oh, crap. What are we going to do with this? First day, we sold 200 drinks. We sold out. So that's we made 200 and we sold 200. That's how it's easy to remember. And then the next week, same thing. And we did that for like a year. Just and con- like weekly pop-ups. Weekly pop-up, pop-ups, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. So not, I would say, not every day. Yeah. So we had to work. 
And how, how did you guys generate the customers or traffic to come in? Was it from the restaurant mm. customers that were buying drinks or you guys push it out? Because, I mean, at that time, Facebook was still fairly new. Oh, yeah. Right? Super, I, I think at, yeah. at that time, I think, yeah, I was in college, so... Yeah, I was in college. Oh my God, you're young. <laughs> People at my age were just being able to start their Facebook <laughs> towards the end of 2008, 2009, uh-huh. right? So, uh-huh. so Facebook was just starting to grow, getting out of that college um, uh, sector, right? So where did you guys get the, the customers? So I don't know. I hope it's not revisionist history, but if I remember correctly, so my, here's what I did know. We had a column on Good Magazine. So both my co-founder and I were known, we had good blogs and writers. We were writers. I, in college, we both worked at different school papers, but our each school's school paper. So we both had a kind of a journalism background, which is atypical for Asians, right? Mm. Especially Asian males. So we and I- Is it? Wait, for, for journalism? Yeah, wasn't it? Mm. In 2004, when I went to college, when I was at Cal, there was no Asian dudes writing writing stuff unless you yeah. want to be a sportscaster yeah, yeah, yeah right like okay that makes sense yeah because he's a little older and he was all about writing and going yeah to get into sports and so like back then there wasn't asian marketing guys mm-hmm. and there wasn't asian journalism it was just we were still doing stem you know i just dated myself so yes if you're doing the math i'm 37 i went to cal 2000 2004 and i went back from my mba 2011 9 to 11 so so get that out of the way so when we were kind of with our backgrounds, we had an in with a magazine called Good Magazine. And the editor, this guy, his name was Tim Furnels, who was, he was a white dude, right? So Tim happened to know Ben, and he saw our writing samples and said, you guys are pretty good writers. And I was like, cool, thank you. You know, we're Asian. But we were like, why don't we document in order uh, this whole experience? And so we had a column on Good Magazine which Tim had no really right or business do giving to us other than our writing samples. And we did it. And that I, it had a good following. If you're listening and you know, good magazine and you're Googling this, like good magazine was pretty popular at the time. It was about positive kind of businesses and social responsible businesses. So we had kind of that ethos going for us already. And so that's why we had a following to start with. But then as you were saying, we automatically pushed everything kept going to Facebook because as a pop-up you're mobile so mm-hmm. you don't really have a physical space so we jumped around from whether it's a friend's food truck like frozen custard or the most common space was a uh, ramen uh, house it was called a Ken Ken ramen so this is based in the city yeah all in the mission basically in the mission district mm-hmm. in San Francisco so yeah it was a wild ride and then then we opened our first store around the corner from that pop-up after one year of doing about yeah, 50, yeah, uh-huh. 50, what, 150 pop-ups uh-huh. at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, because for you, I mean, not to have our audience too intimidated, right? You're Based on your background, your, your, your work history, getting your MBA, I mean, you yourself are a smart person overall, right? I feel like a mm-hmm. lot of people will be like, oh, well, I feel like I need to be that successful in my academics and, mm-hmm. and you know, work history to even get to the same level as you. Mm-hmm. So is it even possible for someone to even achieve? I'm that? glad you asked that question, Eric. <laughs> Here's my real take on it. I only say that because what I'm about to say is controversial because I've said this before and it's gotten me some heat, mm-hmm. especially because I've done a lot of college talks is, can I, do, do we people swear on this podcast? Yes. Cause this, I, yeah. I'm going to really be who you I swear. really am. Please do. 
my full, my fully seen self. I grew up with nothing. My parents were immigrants. My dad and parents don't really speak great English. My dad never finished high school. He uh, came as a refugee. My dad was a bus driver for a Muni, which is like the, for the Muni municipal transit for San Francisco. And so nobody helped me through college. I'm the eldest son of the eldest son. So let's just say like, and I went to this high school called South San Francisco high school. And not to say it's a bad high school. Let's just, but it, it was testing the bottom third of, of the county of, of the state. And I'm just going to say that I grew up not wanting to like think about academia a lot. I grew up as kind of like, I think of myself as a hustler, as a, as a street kid. I grew up in New Jersey before that. In New Jersey, I was the only Asian kid in Woodbridge, New Jersey. If you pull up Woodbridge, New Jersey, the demographic of New Jersey is like, it's poverty line. It's very mm-hmm. cheap. And my, my old house is, I think I looked it up on Redfin. It was $100,000 today. Right now. Okay. And I think the, um, the big thing, I want to say that is because I grew up in this Jersey Shore area. If you watch Jersey Shore, I grew up, that's where I grew up. So just imagine that. Yeah. I'm sure people like, weren't as tan as they are. <laughs> no, yeah, I didn't have a tan. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yo, Angelo, get yeah. over here. Um, cabs are here. Yeah, yeah, cabs are here. You gonna drink some water? Get mm-hmm. on the motorcycle. Let's go to the, sh- the shore. <laughs> so that's how I grew up. I really did. Mm-hmm. And that's why I talk like an Italian because <laughs> I grew up around Italians. I'm aggressive and I... So I don't want to go on a tangent. The idea of that is people always think, oh, because you went to Berkeley and all that. I'll tell you, my SAT scores were mediocre. My GPA was good, but the only reason why my GPA was good was because my parents had to deal with me. I can only do base. I was a good athlete. I was, I was more of a jock than anything. I was only a good athlete. I was only able to go to baseball camp and do sports if I got straight A's. So I reluctantly kind of did it. But if you ask all my teachers, I was really rebellious. If you look at my IG profile, I'm a rebel rouser. Like, rebel, like I'm a rebel rouser. I say that because when I was young, I was always the guy that, people had a hard time paying down. He's like, Andrew's so smart. If only he could focus and apply himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when people say like, Oh, you must have been like model minority. I was like, I was fuck No, I'm not model minority. Model minority. Doesn't like, I went to Berkeley thinking I was going to be a doctor. You know, I almost went to Hopkins. I couldn't afford it, but my parents were poor. So went to Berkeley public school. You have to fight for your life there. Right. It's a sink or swim mentality. It's public school. And I, didn't, I didn't fit in. I didn't fit in as a model minority. I was, you know, I was nerdy, but I was also the kid just like, you know, people think like Eddie Huang. I was that kid who loved Asian hip hop. Like I was, I had cassette tapes of, you know, Snoop Dogg and R&B, like Keith Sweat, New Edition. Like I was that person. Yet I was always like switching, you know, I was like, they call it code switching. I was always like super Asian and then like super non-Asian. And I go back and forth. And so when I think about, you know, the model minority, do I have straight A's and you went to great business school? I actually don't think that was what made Boba Guy successful or me successful. I think it was, I was always kind of like this Aladdin, you know, hood rat, like that. I just always could tell if somebody was trying to like one up me or like I was always seeing if someone's throwing shade. I was like, what the fuck was that? Like I was always that kid. I think that was then what helped me got into get into good business school or do well in business. It wasn't because I was smarter. I I went to Berkeley. Almost everyone is smarter than me. I I worked at companies where they were only hiring MBAs like Clorox and and 
you know, Walmart and all my friends are like at Stanford, Harvard. I was always the black sheep in those, in those communities, which is why it was probably easy for me to be an entrepreneur because I was always like turning off a part of myself in those settings because I would want to drop an F-bomb in a meeting and be like, what the fuck? You can't say that in corporate. So I would say in corporate speak, I respectfully disagree with that opinion. <laughs> I would like to uh, propose another solution. And that's what I would do. And I was good at it, but I can tell you it wasn't me. So not to, it was a long-winded answer, but I, I think a lot of people feel this way. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people doing really well right now, especially in Asian Hustle Network, on ACN, Asian Creative Network, on kind of all these other up-and-coming Asian networks. And we all know each other because you can see we all kind of run in the same political circles or, or you know, fashion or entertainment circles, we all actually will just say we maybe were black sheep. And yeah, we played a little bit of the stereotype in that we were good at school, but what made us more different was we didn't want to fall in line. And I think that's more indicative of why I became an entrepreneur or we were moderately successful because we have this idea that we don't conform to what people think, which is even right now, the way we do Boba, you know, the first five years of Boba guys, every, not everybody, but a lot of Asians, Asians especially hated us. They thought we sold out when they didn't see from what, read my old writings. We set out to basically make the, the culture and the industry changed. I was never trying to say we we're authentic. You could read my old writings 10 years ago, about eight years ago, I started writing about this. So, but no, people were saying, ah, oh, you sold out. You, you just hate Asians. I'm like, dude, why can't Asians evolve? You know, mm-hmm. there's this whole idea we can go down, which is like self-hating Asians. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. You just got to evolve society. Culture mm-hmm. changes. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I mean, I feel like uh, Asians are some of the harshest critics, right? Mm. And we see that all the time, you know, within different mm-hmm. networks and communities about, you know, Asians are probably one of the most active people on Yelp and, you know, criticizing a lot. <laughs> you guys, yeah, yeah. But so let's transition over to you You and Ben, your partner, you guys basically did pop-ups for you know, 150 pop-ups for the first year. Mm. And then you guys got your first brick and mortar. Mm. At that point, you guys were still working cor- corporate jobs. We were, yeah. yeah. So then how did you guys balance that? And how long were you guys in corporate before you guys said, we're jumping into this full time? Three and a half years. So we did it from 2011 when we started to the beginning of 2015. I remember, I don't think I've ever shared this story really. I was working at a company called Leapfrog. I was a, like a global brand manager. It's kind of, I manage this huge product division and they usually have Christmas off. And so, cause it's a toy company, Leapfrog. So I love them actually. I, I actually enjoyed my time there. But during Christmas break, I really, you know, during that time, one of my, my best friends, I came home, we hadn't even seen each other cause he's from high school. And so we only see each other during the vacation, the holiday vacation. And he, I remember he was like, Andrew, you look like shit. And I was like out of shape. I wasn't taking care of myself and I wasn't sleeping. You know, my wife was always telling me I was always tired. So I think, you know, it takes a, a, a best friend to say that, but he literally just straight up said that out of nowhere. I was like, wow, nice to see you too. Happy holidays. Mm-hmm. And so I remember January 2nd, 2015, I got back into work and I gave my two weeks notice. Like, and then my, my, my bosses were shocked. I remember Elliot, if you, if you're listening, Elliot, I remember, I remember this moment. Sorry about it. I said, Hey, Elliot, can we talk? And then I kind of did it at his desk and then we walked to a room because he was realizing that I was actually giving my notice. 
And he goes, are you giving your notice? And he knew, it was so funny, my boss, his wife, Annie, was one of our first Kickstarter backers. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't even hide Boba Guys to him. So this is, that's a whole funny story. Because on his second day, he IMs me out of nowhere in the intranet. I am, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he goes, Messenger days. Yeah. yeah, sorry for those who dated. It's like DM'd me. My yeah. boss slid into my DMs. And he was like, hey, are you Andrew from Boba Guys? Because he, during the whole interview process, had not known, like, we never, it never came up. Mm -hmm. And then, and he, his, it was his wife that was the, the, the super fan, I guess. And so Elliot always knew for the two years since that time that I was moonlighting because I was trying not to tell people. And so, yeah, on January 2nd, I got back and Elliot, he goes, yeah, I had a feeling, you know, this was going to happen one day. And I'm like, I'm really happy for you, of course, because... My wife and I, Annie, support you. Inadvertently, I didn't even know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we wish you the best. And then I gave him, I think, three weeks notice because I really did love the team. And I really love corporate. But I think I needed to take care of myself, take care of my wife, and just really, to be honest, I needed to have balls. You know, no pun intended about Boba stuff. But like, I people think people that entrepreneurs are like this huge risk takers. Dude, I was a coward for doing it for three years, dragging my friends and missing all these weddings and baby showers because I was trying to hedge. I was trying to head do both. Mm -hmm. And I think I look back, you know, had I known Boba guys was going to be this, I would have quit a long time ago, right? That's what the same thing to do. I didn't know. So I was hedging for three and a half years. It wasn't until our third store, Hayes Valley store that I quit. You don't think, so you think you could have gotten it to where it is faster had you quit corporate earlier much earlier on or you feel like it was a good time even though you were hedging right because a lot mm -hmm. of entrepreneurs i'm sure maybe you've told people as well like if someone was to go and you know make that jump yeah where's that balance like you should still work corporate until things are at a certain point before they they go full-time into their side business up until a point right so like for you it's three and a half years but other maybe if it's right for them to do a year or is that too risky that's a really based off in your own experience. Okay, you're like Terry grossing me right now. You're like <laughs> super fresh air. These are all things I wonder, right? Like as a just a one-on-one -on -one conversation. If I'm you know looking to you as a mentor, like that's these are the types of questions that you know that run through my head if I'm gonna start a side business, mm -hmm. you know, while I'm in corporate and trying to relate to the audience who are in this juxtaposition. Yeah. I'm gonna think out loud a little bit. I I think while you're going through it, you just don't have time to think. I think maybe that's the best way to explain it. It's a little more instinctual. So I don't know if I'm going to answer this directly, but I think the idea, I think you have to get to the point where it's just almost like a leap of faith. It's like, a, it's like marriage. It's like love. You, there's a point where you have enough evidence and people are like, well, I don't know what it's going to be like to be married. We should move in together. We should... That's kind of like, I would say, startups where you just constantly hedge, 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 hedge. And then there's this point where you just can't hedge. And there are certain people, just not to be like, that just never commit in relationships. Mm -hmm. There's some people just never commit in entrepreneurship, whether they moonlight and it's a side hustle or not. They just don't. I've seen them. I've, I know a lot of them. Now that I have a reputation and we're pretty accessible on the internet and we do all these talks and we do a lot of media, a lot of people come up to us and when they do... Half the time, what's, I'm not like full Gary Vaynerchuk here, but 
I want to go Gary Vaynerchuk on them and be like, yo, you just, you don't have, you don't, you, you should be doing this because you're making excuses like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But me still being a little polite, I'm like, ah, you should think about it, you know, but in my mind, I probably should be like Gary Vaynerchuk and be like, <laughs> yo, you, everything you told me points to, you should just do it because you're going to live with regrets if you don't. That's probably most of these answers, but you know, I've never met him. I don't want to like, I don't have to, rip, I don't want him to be man. Andrew from Boba guys. He's a dick. He told me to do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, he is like, he's so callous. So in that way, I think I'm different. That's what I mean. Like when it comes to like, oh, I'm really strong at business and I'm like super, I am a type A, I'm more of an alpha dog. But when I actually, I'm like, I would say I'm A minus really, because I'm still, my Asian culture is like, you know, you know, flail piety. It's like, Mm. oh yeah, great. You know, my parents agree and you know, reverence. And so I still have that in me, you know, People think, first of all, Ben and I, even though we started Boba Guys, they think we're not real Chinese Taiwanese. I'm like, dude, my parents don't speak English. I have to know my Asian culture. So I have, a, you know, my parents are like very traditional. My mom still doesn't want me to wash my hair on Chinese New Year. <laughs> yeah. She, you know, she's still, I mean, she's still a tiger mom. I think in that way, so much of the whole hedging was just, it, it's like an Asian thing. Like you, it's not... It's, it's always interesting that in America, it's what the squeaky wheel gets the grease, but in China or in other lang- in other cultures, it's the, the, ne- the hammer, the nail that sticks out gets hammered in. Mm-hmm. I'm like, which one's right? Those are basically two opposite norms. And I feel, and I don't know if other people, this is the clash between Asian and America and being Asian American. That's why, yeah, I mean, that's why I think, I mean, probably listen to any of your podcast episodes including this one is I always tell people most of the content around entrepreneurship is really just therapy. And I'm just like you, like when I, I'm a huge fan of, you know, uh, guy Raz, how I built this. One of my, probably my favorite podcast is his after Terry mm-hmm. gross fresh air is because I'm interested in the psyche and feeling of entrepreneurship. Cause I don't know if it's a good thing. I'm like, my wife says I'm too much of an empath. So I actually feel others feelings too much I think and when people are talking about their struggles leading people leading companies feeling responsible for for families and stuff I actually feel the same way so I don't cry related to business ever but when I'm listening to maybe a podcast about struggling at a startup or like sleeping under your own desk because you you didn't you couldn't make rent like I actually feel that and I get really sad and I get emotional because I don't know. That's just one thing. So don't use, if you're listening, don't use this against me. Like I, Ben and I generally have been known to, to be very, cause we're in the media a lot. We can be, we have thick skin, but that is one way to get to me. Like use empathy, like sob stories actually do kind of work on me. They're like, Oh, please help me out. My mom, a single mom. And I have, I was like, Oh, okay. If we're trying to pitch you a business, then you gotta, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you up got it okay so you know one of the things that you and i talked about when i first met you at, at this, the networking event yeah you know we, we had talked about you guys run eight figure business right now that's how large you know the business or yep. boba mm-hmm. guys is mm-hmm. and you mentioned something to me i forget what the question was but you said you know you think about going back to corporate even to this day mm-hmm. i don't mm-hmm. know if you remember that I kind of remember saying something like that because I've said it quite a few times. Mm-hmm. 
I think it's along the same lines as like, I don't, people ask, I think you might've asked that day. I know Maggie and Brian, HN always asks, why, what are you going to do with Boba guys and why? And I don't have an answer. So corporate, it could be one of them. I always tell people Boba guys may still fail, right? Think of, I think about the yogurt craze. Look at what happened to Pinkberry and yogurt land and all those, those were Titans, almost a billion dollar, more than a billion dollar valuation. You know, Forever 21 just went out of business, right? And like, I think about that. And because I am traditionally, I'm classically trained in business. I do think about things as systems and kind of rational, um, logical progression. So I never take anything for granted. That's why if you follow Boba guys, like Ben and I don't live very lavishly. I'm not trying to be like, like humble or like, I just, people just don't have to be like, we're generally the richest person in any room. We never, people are like, never know how many times I've, I've I had where people are like, wait, you guys are the Boba guys. Mm-hmm. Like, especially from like non-Asians, they know how big we are and they don't really drink Boba because they're non-Asian sometimes. And so they're just like, Oh my God, you're like, they're this massive chain. They're like 20 stores. And you're like, but you dress, I dress in like free t-shirts. Oh, today I'm wearing a little bit of a flexing shirt, but this is, <laughs> yeah, my pants are free. These are Hill yeah. city, go Hill city, you know, sponsored ad hashtag. <laughs> so in general, I think, yeah, I don't, I don't really have a great answer about whether or not we go corporate. I think that I was trying to say anything goes. Mm-hmm. I'd like to say that's actually how good entrepreneurs I've heard, you know, I have a lot of great mentors in my life and most of them generally say to me is like, Andrew, don't, be very, don't put your identity in your business, number one. And number two is don't kind of overly focus on the actual tactics, focus on the strategy, what's your overall vision. So my overall vision is to bridge cultures, as you probably know, is the mission of Boba Guys. So as long as I'm bridging cultures, whether it's in a big company or my own company, I'm generally happy, especially if we're talking about this before we went on the podcast, you know, with all the stuff that's going on in America, with Asian America, we need better representation. We need less infighting. And that's why I do some of these podcasts because I'm not, I don't want to like say we are the voice, but considering men, very few people have our size in our platform that cross Boba and culture because people, we go on podcasts and we don't even talk about Boba. I mean, we haven't really talked about Boba today too much. The actual category, we talk about the business and the idea of the lifestyle, but it's because we generally see ourselves as more of cultural businesses and feel like there's a responsibility yeah. to that. So if it means that like, I mean, Boba guys might be so big that it is a corporation. So I might say, Oh, I'm, if I say I'm anti-corporate and Boba guys is, you know, 5,000 people and I'm still the CEO, people will look back and be like, ah, you did that Y factor. And you said you fuck corporate people. And I'm like, you're, you're running your own corporation. How is that any different? So I don't like, I'm very aware of what hypocrisy looks like mm-hmm. and I'm, tr- I think everyone's a hypocrite, but I try to avoid it when I can. I just don't want to say anything that's like ultimately so true. So I'm, it's very relativistic, mm-hmm. but I just don't think there's, a, there's so many, there's no wrong way to do anything. So it's, it's funny cause yeah, you know, a lot of the, you know, the beer companies, when people are starting off their microbreweries, they, yeah. they, you know, come together as a community. And then when one guy gets bought out by the big guys, and everybody else, oh, like you guys sold out. Is that what you said? Oh, really? Yeah, in the oh. you know home brewing community and, okay. and all that, right? And but like, 
I think most people, they started because, yeah, the love of beer. But, yeah, if they had the opportunity to get bought out by you know, Budweiser yeah. or Anheuser-Busch, then, yeah, they would be super stoked as well, right, to be able to get their brand out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it's almost the same same thing in that sense where it, it doesn't matter what you guys become, whether it's corporate or staying lean mm-hmm. as, as a small small business. It's just, you know, at the end of the day, what makes you as a person happy, what makes you and your team happy, mm-hmm. and how you can – create a positive impact at the end of the day, whether you have a large medium or just a small company yeah. to do it. Right. You ultimately have employees that you have to take care of on top of that. You know, I'll give you, I wouldn't say it's exclusive, but it's essentially something I rarely ever talk about. And especially on this podcast, it's relevant is that people don't talk about the financial aspects of this. So Boba guys, we don't franchise. We own like 95% of the company because we have angel investors. But we only only Ben and I are on the board, which is why we never fly in the same airplane. You know, you know, we both are married, so essentially our our wives and us own all the whole company, control everything, which is why we can do all the crazy stuff that we do. Now, the issue is is that people now, especially at twenty stores, people can start looking at us and acquiring us. And off the that's not off the record. I'm it's a podcast, so on the record on the podcast, but without getting too much into the detail, we get offer, offers left and right, like. So I know roughly how much just we're worth and many companies already exited at our size. And if I exited today, I would definitely be retired by now because we are a strong brand. So our premium is high. We have really strong financials and our culture is kind of like what makes us so unique. So we have a model that just works. Now, Ben and I thought, you know, we have this is the time to cash in. Are you, you know, or are you going to keep on rolling the dice? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we said to ourselves, what, what is at what cost and what's the risk? Because what's ultimately the end goal? What's my walk away money, right? At a bank, I mean, at a casino, if I'm winning a hundred bucks and I drop 200 bucks to get a hundred to double it, I mean, to get 50% back, uh, that's okay. But I want to double. I want to, I'll leave. If I put 200 down, I'm not leaving until I gain it 500 because otherwise, you know, losing 200, uh, that's the cost of the two hours that it took me to lose that money. Yeah. So I think of that as entrepreneurship in the same way where what is worth it to us is if we walk away when Boba guys, when the word Boba is across the entire English language, meaning if I walk anywhere in America, right now I go to a fast company, Forbes magazine event. In the Asian community, we're, we're kind of like cool, right? Maybe not. I don't know. But I will say in the white community, they didn't give a shit of who, who we are. It says Andrew Chow, Boba Guys, and it says on my name tag. 90% of the time, I swear to God. And it's very humbling, which is super amazing. It's good. Is they're like, oh, what's Boba? What guys? Mm. Bo- Boba Guys? I've had that majority of the time at these conferences. Because these are places in like Chicago. You know, even in Vegas. Like, there's a conference in Vegas that people are like, what is Baba guys, I'm like, oh my gosh. But then I'm like, well, then we have a, a huge job to do. And I'm very aware that Boba is more than just, you know, you know, not Asians, not all Asians drink Boba and that you can't just simplify a whole ethnicity. You know, I'm not going to get too much into like Boba liberalism here. I'm very aware of that. I was a sociology from Berkeley major. So like not to be like, you know, high honors, top of my class, just saying, it's not like I don't know, understand those terms, but just like certain foods are iconic to an industry or to a, a ethnicity, 
there was rarely something more iconic to Asians than boba. And because it's a tea in which tea has this crazy history of Europe and colonization and the desserts with Malaysia and South Africa, South America, the drink itself is generally, I think, a microcosm or like analogy for what happens in the world. Mm -hmm. I do think that a lot of culture and stuff could be explained. So when I kind of make a big deal out of boba, it's not because I'm trying to over attribute and sensationalize this category or like all Asians drink boba. And if you don't drink boba, you're not Asian. I think that's, that is not how it works. It's that just like certain, uh, a tortilla is so iconic in certain cultures or a certain type of tea, chai, is so synonymous with Indian culture. You know, like you don't have Indians, I don't think, really saying like, yeah, we're more than chai, we're more than curry. Mm-hmm. That's not what they're saying. But I see Asians and people, people saying like, yeah, just because I'm Asian doesn't mean I drink boba. People are hating against that. I'm like, that's not what people are saying. It's just that there's a way that people connect. Why don't you have a gateway thing to connect. That's what I really hope we can kind of use Boba for. So if we achieve that goal, then we will retire. It's a long answer of basically saying there's no financial reason we'll retire. And I, I, the whole, your whole answer brings up a good point because at the end of the day, it's not about the financials. It's not about the money, right? I hope, yeah, most, do you think, what do you think? You interview all, all these entrepreneurs. Do most entrepreneurs have a, a number that they say? No, I have, we have, I've talked to some people, I've interviewed a few on the podcast, some episodes that may never release um, because they ask (laughs) others, you know, they also generate, you know, eight figures in their business and there's just no insight for them Mm -hmm. either. Right. And so I think even, you know, regardless if they're only making a million a year to 10 million to 20, 45, 50 million, they don't really know what they're doing. They don't have a purpose behind it. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And, and they've been told that uh, many times as well. So, you know, I, I think a lot of people want to be able to, you know, achieve enough money for themselves to be comfortable. Yeah. But I think, I mean, you're at that level now to say, you know, at a certain point money doesn't really affect your life all too differently. Right right? You, you know, what's Ben will tell you my, co- so I always tell people like Ben and Ben's like my brother and he'll, if you ask him, what's Andrew's like number one quote? And uh, I'm not sure what do you, or if you're a listener, what do you agree? My quote that I quote for two decades now, because I heard it when I was, I think roughly when I was in college is a rich man is not the one who has the most, but the one who needs the least. And that's generally the only, just like my motto. That's, if I, that's on my, that would be on my tombstone. And Ben is very similar. Ben, <laughs> this is like a, a little bit of like Ben lore. Ben tracks everything he owns on a, sh- a spreadsheet on a, on an air table. I swear to God, you would think that's not possible. It is that possible. He used to own all the stuff when I first met him over a decade ago. And then in the last three years, he'd show me the spreadsheet because it was Marie, Marie Kondo. Marie Kondo big yeah. And, and he has all his white t-shirts. He is such a minimalist. So I call him like people. I'm like hype priest. He's like hype monk. He's like, he, in another world, he'd be at a monastery right now because he's like super Zen. And I think, I think he and I, that's where we get along. We have different faith backgrounds, but he's so, but we just don't like material things. Not to say, Ooh, well, very convenient of you, Andrew. Well, how privileged of you. Mm-hmm. You don't have to care about material things. What about the struggle? I'm like, dude, for me, 
I know what it was struggled. I lived in a two bedroom house with six people, you know, in New Jersey above the restaurant that we lived in, in Woodbridge. I know what it's like to be poor, not to flex poorness. It's not like I don't understand that, but I'll tell you, I was super happy. I got very lucky that my family was a great family and that taught me that money was not everything. So I learned that when I was five years old, living above our restaurant on Main Street in Woodbridge, New Jersey. So I say it kind of a little passionately because I see so many entrepreneurs and that's why I love doing these types of podcasts is because they, they want to hear that it's about money and it's about sexy cars and all that. And to be honest, like I don't even have a car. If you know me, I don't have a car. Well, I didn't see any exotic cars out in front of and, the yeah, shop. And Ben doesn't even have a car. Yeah. He has like a bike that keeps on getting stolen. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, like the nicest, I think the nicest thing I have, which is true. If you go outside, I have a hoverboard at my desk. If you notice, that's like the nicest vehicle I have. I have one of those old school hoverboards that used to catch on fire. My wife doesn't want it at home. <laughs> so I keep it here at the office. <laughs> It's true. Well, we got insurance. Yeah. yeah. I got ins- I got much better insurance here than I have my house. So. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I would say. I would encourage maybe, I hope the new generation of entrepreneurs to have that mindset because when you take money and those numbers out of the equation, I do think it'll make you a better entrepreneur because you'll be able to get more out of every dollar because you just have this mindset of like not needing much. So your MVP products, your just your, your resourcefulness just goes tenfold because Ben and I can get anything out of just an ounce of energy. So amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree with you in terms of the materialistic. There's, there's really no end number. I think, I mean, that's the whole reason this podcast exists as well, right? Because social media nowadays, people are, what they see online are all these gurus and coaches of teaching them how to become rich, how to be financially free. Uh, yeah, don't get me started on those. Okay. <laughs> I mean, and, and I'm sure most people yeah. who are already listening now, they yeah. should be familiar with it, right? And so at a certain point, you, you you have a mission. And I think that's why when I first met you, that you, you do have this certain drive, uh, a huge reason why that you already mentioned, right? In terms of trying to bridge the gap, bridge the community um, and get Boba out to the world. And for everybody to just be bridged together, I mean, at the end of the day, right? And just, just unify. So, I mean, I'd love to talk to you more. I know we're, <laughs> we're, we're getting to a limit here. Yep. What does the time say on that? Uh, there? 43 minutes. 43. Yeah. So I'd love to give you the opportunity to talk about mm-hmm. what you guys are working on next. Mm-hmm. I think by the time everyone here is listening to this episode, Andrew and his team have launched Something called the Boba Book. Yeah, you, you, I think one of the first people in public to ever see this, because there's only two copies that exist, yeah. uh, like that are finished. That that my uh, we just our publisher was in town because our publisher's in New York, but they came by to meet. So with you us dropped here. off the two yeah. copies that they they got printed. Yeah, I mean you could see, you know, not to well, thank you for like whether it's a platform or like thank you for just even having us. I think you know we're not doing this as a we're, I mean, way early for the book promotion tour, but whether it's the book or just me being on this podcast, what I really, what both my co-founder and I really want to see is people that come from different backgrounds. And it's not just ethnicity. It's not just Asian, non-Asian. We're talking about East coast, West coast. We're talking about old people, younger people. We're talking about people that are more like techie and people that are more hipster. Like there's this world where everybody's so polarized and 
I think we forgot how to talk and have dialogue. Like that's why I like podcasts because I, this is what I call long form content. Mm-hmm. I love long form content. As you heard, my favorite podcasts are like Guy Raz. His yep. things are like 50 minutes. I think the book is similar. That's why we chose to do a book. We could have done a show and we do on uh, the tease, but we have a show likely coming out that's based off of this book. But the idea is that the Boba book is so much love and so much respect is like fine dining. I call it the food Medici. Like it's like the people who choose what cult, the right is the great culture. They, you give all the love to top restaurants, but you know what? Boba shops across America, they've changed the landscape of every community just as much as the fine dining restaurants. Boba guys, we serve over 10,000 people a day. Think of their top restaurant groups. They don't even have that many covers when they put together. Mm-hmm. And then we have lines and we have these lookbooks that we have. When you wait in line, you can read and you learn about our drinks. We do so much more, we call infotainment and educational stuff than someone's menu that's written in some fancy language that you don't even understand. You spend half your time Googling and you're not going to remember anything. We actually think about culture in every single thing we do, every piece of architecture, every recipe. So, so much of this book. Are you going to show the video of this? Yeah, we're in. Oh, well, so much of this book is like the history of Boba. And then what you call head notes is like, we talk about, you know, how a drink came to be. And we talk about different types of drinks. So like, oh, so we have the Ermata Kuching, like it's a Malaysian one. So this one, there's almost no recipes of the Ermata in, in, on the internet. But we did it because I wanted to see if, well, remember this book is written for, everyday Americans because, you know, I don't need to write this for Asians. Asian people know what Boba is. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, I've never heard of this air monster. You haven't? Okay, well, for some, some drinks I think are pretty out there. But like, Longan, like, mm-hmm. like, you probably know what Longan is, but an average, I would say even some Asians don't even know what Longan is. Uh, my team doesn't because I, when we asked them, they didn't. So I think the idea of making this accessible is super important. And then I would love to say, uh, the whole team, including our editor, we all they all are nominated or won a James Beard Award, which is like the Oscars for food. And we'd love to say a boba book was nom is a parasite, right? Won or got nominated for a James Beard Award. A boba book. Because at that point, then people won't think, especially with you know what's going on, I don't want to say it, but like coronavirus and all this shit, is like Oh, Asians eat crazy stuff and like all this. I'm like, dude, the best and worst come from any culture. Mm -hmm. Just call it that. And like, you can't other people for their cuisine, all the stupid things. And so I want Boba guys, you know, we're not here. We're not very, we're not here to like shame anybody, but we are here to teach. And so we'd love to kind of like inform and teach in a way that's very accessible. And that's why some people say that accessibility is like diet culture or like, whitewashed or whatever i'm like no that's just being a good ambassador you know like if you want to you and i since we're both like asian we and i can go super asian stuff if this was an asian podcast oh it is but like like super we'll talk all day about you know subtle asian traits stuff and memes memes (laughs) all the memes but that's not going to help the outside world Mm -hmm. that's tribalism you know the outside world which is what we do that's why I think we were the only boba shop truly to cross over. Now people have copied our model, which is great. We wanted it. We, we, we gave away our recipes so people can copy. People forget that we gave away our recipes in the early days. We taught people. We taught entrepreneurs across the world. You know, Bopo Mofo, 
you know, Phil and, and uh, Eric, we helped them do start their thing. T-Bar in Portland, you know, Alfred T. They're such amazing people. They do it their own way. But we people forget that we help them all. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's something about yeah, the industry. That's something I discovered about, about you guys was it's not even about, and this this should be the last question to, okay. to round off the uh, yeah, 15 podcast. Minutes, 15 minutes exactly. Guy Raz. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of you guys coming in, building out bubble guys, getting to you know five shop, three shops to 10 shops, 20 shops, you guys weren't really afraid of competition and you, I don't mm -hmm. think you guys see them as competition, right? Because no. of your whole mission to be able to get the entire boba culture out to this world. Like you said, you gave out your recipes. Mm -hmm. Like what was the thought process behind that? That's where maybe the one good thing about a tech, I don't want to like crap too much on tech culture is like they, they generally like Elon Musk, I, I do admire. He gave away, you know, all the patents to help the ecosystem. It's all about big picture and ecosystem. If you fundamentally, they call it abundance mentality. I'm mm -hmm. sure you know. Yep. If you fundamentally believe that there's more than enough for everyone, then you don't have a hard time sharing. And there's a great book by Adam Grant that I quote a lot. Adam Grant wrote this book called Give and Take. And it's about the three types of you know, people who are generous. You give and you re re one type gives and receives something back. Some gives and doesn't ever like take. And some people just give without ever expecting to receive anything. And generally the people who never expect something back are the ones who do really well because they, they attract and they grab they their orbit has naturally other people that are these givers. And that's, I think what happened to Boba guys and you know, Boba guys will, will die. We won't get die because somebody cloned us. People have tried. It's been eight years. Everybody's tried to clone us. I'm very aware of those clones. We see, people, my friends text me all the time. Have you seen this here and this here? They copied your logo. They copied your drink. Here's a strawberry matcha latte. Here's your kiramitsu. Here's the, here's the fruit drinks, the agra fresca style that you do. But, and I don't mind that because Apple, In-N-Out, all the good guys get copied. But I always care. I'm like, does it grow the pie? Because when it's scarce and everybody's fighting at each other and include, we talked about this, you know, you want to end with the Asian uh, HN kind of stuff. Can oh, I talk can. about yeah. it? Yeah. Is that we, we see certain communities that are brand new, like Asian Hustle Network, where sometimes there's infighting. And I've seen that in ACN, Asian Creative Network. I've seen that on business LinkedIn, like non-Asian affinity groups. I've seen this in every type of segment. And all it is is just tribalism. It's people thinking that there's it's scarce resources and stuff. And that's what happened in Hollywood. The reason why Asian Hollywood sucked ass for so bad for so long, and I could tell you from the inside, I know a lot of them. I just think that they didn't build the ecosystem right. And they were all fighting for the same roles and it was systemic issues, mm -hmm. but the system kept them fighting at each other, which you have to blow up the system. So we are into kind of creating new ecosystems, new kind of like infrastructures. So, you know, I'll end by saying this, people may or may not realize this is that the, the hardest thing that we had to do for the industry is not our factory is not all the media we did. The hardest thing I had to do for eight years was I had to teach landlords that did not want boba shops to be next to fancy coffee shops to let us in because they would say, well, I don't want that crowd here. Oh, I've never seen it here that you just have teenagers. And in the early days, there was no other boba shop you can compare it to. So it was only us. So I had to say, well, maybe there isn't a comparison, but we are different. We are the boba shop that belong next, that belongs next to a blue bottle that belongs next to a Cyclass uh, coffee. These are artisanal, you know, third wave coffee roasters. We were, were at Lower East Side in New mm -hmm. York. We had to convince our landlords to do that when before us, nobody did it. 
And then because of that, other landlords can be like, hey, you know that boba shop in California is doing really well? I can do that in my, my plaza in LA, my plaza in, in, in Arcadia, my plaza in Irvine Spectrum. Not to, and I know mostly these landlords. That's, what, that's why it was so hard for us. And I'm not saying we should get credit for it. I just think we need, I'm not the only, in Boba, maybe I'm one of the only ones who've done it. Probably the one who's done it, who's done it. But in other industries, people have done this all along. So mm-hmm. I'm just following the lead of the Elon Musk's and Howard Schultz's who are trying to say, hey, there's more than enough. Let's lift each other up instead of attacking each other. Because if, if the Boba world is known for like cannibalizing and like undermining each other or the Asians are doing the same thing, I can tell you the outsiders looking in, they're going to be like, I told you so. I told you not to bet on them. Ah, oh, they're just a mess. They're just drama. And they're not going to want to co-sign us. And you need allies in this, in this world. So what we're really, that's bridging cultures. You need allies. So that's probably what I would say to anybody listening is build allies, build a great network, be pretty positive. You can tell this whole thing is we don't really like throw shade. Like we're just saying we, we were real, but we really encourage everybody to do their own thing. That's why I even like, like I don't say cheap boba shops. People say, oh, you're bougie. So you don't like cheap boba shops. What are you talking about? Yi Yen. Like I love mm-hmm. Wuzulan, all the, the, the old school Taiwan Chinese the boba shops. Come over I love here. those. Yeah. Love those. I drink those all day. Yi Fang. I just had Yi Fang two days ago. So. Maybe open up in one in Fremont, right? Did they? Oh yeah. They're, oh, they're fruit teas. Yeah. All fruit tea. I was like, damn. They, they, I would say they're the one fruit teas that I'm like jealous over. They got some <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, you definitely talk, touch upon a, a lot of good topics. We, we talk about the give and take portion, right? And I think that's what's beautiful about the Asian Hustle Network, too. I mean, Brian and Maggie have done a phenomenal job so far in trying to promote that within the community yep. and being able to give back. And, you know, I'm very glad to have that platform to be able to meet you yep. in person as well. And then just to see, you know, the way you conduct yourself. And even me coming into your office today, I was just blown away by the energy of you know your team that's out here there's nice. you got your your staff that's training the new employees going into the stores you have like your marketing team the operations team just talking about different ways that you know you mm-hmm. guys are going to grow so i just have to commend you you know you're doing a great job and everything that you're trying to do for the community and even in the world i know you guys were you were out in dc a few weeks ago as well mm-hmm. you know helping out in the political side too so i'd love to give you one more moment to to you know, say say whatever you want it is to the audience as, as we wrap up here. No, thanks again. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our IG, Boba Guys, at Boba Guys everywhere, or my personal handle if you like my, what my content is, which is more business-related stuff, strategy. It's at Chow Million. My last name is C-H-A-U in the chameleon, but C-H-A-U. And yeah, I just, I, you know, like whether it's you, Eric, or all the people in AHN, ACN, all the different Asian networks, or just other entrepreneurs, even if not Asian. As you were saying, I was in DC because I work a lot with the MBDA, the Minority Business Development Agency, and I work with the SBA a lot, the Small Business Administration. So I really, 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 it's my kind of my job to help small businesses across America because, as I said earlier, I really grew up with nothing. And I'll finish with this one idea is like, with all that stuff that's going on in the world, there's, I'm going to come off as like a, like a full-on like, you know, class Marxist, but I did go to Berkeley twice. <laughs> so I'll come off that way a little bit. Is that there's this idea that, you know, there's worker bees, the proletariats and the capitalists, the people who make the workers, I guess, and profit off of them. Now, 
there's this other class that Lenin, actually Leninism will call it vanguardism. But it's the idea that there was these poor proletariat, these worker bees that somehow became a capitalist, the 1%, and they created a bridge between the two classes. So if you've read any of my writings, I was a pretty decent social theory student, Asian American, only guy in my class. I wrote a lot about this stuff when I was like 20, like 20 years ago, like 18 years old. I love this stuff. And the one thing I would encourage is to be more vanguards. So if you, if I'm an Asian and I came up to bring along more Asians with me, if I was poor and I now am like, I have money, bring a lot of poor people up with me, creating that bridge between ethnicities and classes. I just need to say, please, please, please do that. So no matter what network you're on, what race you're in or what, social stat strata you're in, like you have to not forget how everybody's connected. And if you do that, we won't all have all these crazy wars and like all these like infighting. And I think we'll live much more productive lives. Appreciate it, Andrew. Yeah. Thanks Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Vote for, uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> I sound like I'm about to pitch for uh, president. Okay. Um, appreciate it. Yeah. Last thing, where can people find oh, the book? book. Thank you for, I'm so bad at plugging things. The book is, uh, Eric has been cueing me this whole time, is that the book is available on Amazon in your local bookstore. We encourage people to support local bookstores. So um, almost all local bookstores have it because our publisher is Penguin Random House. So it's a very widely distributed book. You can find it almost anywhere. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. As you guys know, I'll put all the information into the website as well. You guys can find there. And thank you again, Andrew. We will talk to you guys soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening until the very end. You can find more information about my guest on the website at whyfactorpodcast.com. I'll provide any links and promo codes that were mentioned in the interview. A full transcription of the interview is also available on the website. Share with your friends and tune in next time for another episode of The Why Factor.